Let me ask you something. Did you come from a good family or a quote-unquote bad family? Did you come from the family that, that fortunately some of us got to come from where, you know, really, I mean, everybody has a little something bad, right? Everybody has a few things. But really, overall, you look at your family and you say, you know, good mom and dad, good siblings, you know, some dysfunction always, but not anything horrible. And really, here's the key to good versus bad. The key in our definition would be, this family helped me become a better person. See what I mean? This family. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because it would be too painful for people that didn't. And so let me drop to that other side. And let me say, did you come from what we might call a bad family? And a bad family would be where you, can, you look at the things that happened. You look at the dysfunction that took place. You look at the harm that was done. You look at the way things were handled, the way they reacted to you. All kinds of things. And, and you have to say in your heart, that, that maybe not in every area, but at least in some, I'm worse off for having had the experience that I had with that family. See what I mean? I, I'm not talking everything. Although in some people's cases, literally, they had such a traumatic, traumatic, dysfunctional growing up that they would say everything. You know, I can't, I'm, I can't think of one thing that was positive in my past. And there's a few people in here like that. Most of us are somewhere in between that, right? where there's some good and some bad, and hopefully it's more. But what I want you to do is I, I just want you to own for a second this idea, this, this thought, that what happens in a bad situation is that you end up worse than you would have been. I mean, at least in some areas, almost every person in here can say something like that, right? They can say, in this one area, the way that they did this, I actually would have been better off if. Now, when you get to a really bad situation, and we, I keep driving back to the really bad situation because I think if we can handle the worst case scenario, then we understand that we can handle everything upstream from that, everything that's better than that in some degree, right? So I, I just want you, to, I want you to think about something for a second. We think of them as a good family and a bad family. Here, a person that really went through a devastating familial upbringing it's not uncommon for them to have one of, a, one of some reactions, and one of them is, has to do with, they look at people who are in good families, and there's a twinge in them. It could be, what was, what's, wrong in, what's wrong with me that God didn't put me in that family? That God didn't let me have that? Or, what's wrong with God <laughs> that he put me in that family and that situation? See what I mean? I mean, you know, you, 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 can, you can play this out in your heads, and those of you who went through devastating and those of you who went through difficult will know where you can go with these kinds of things. But the key is, is what we think is, is something's wrong. And clearly there is something wrong, right? Dysfunction is not what God intended. In the garden, he intended there to be oneness, as we talked about last week, and we'll come back to again a bit this week. But we, he wanted oneness and love and 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 full-on relationship that was healthy and that was growing and that was helpful and all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden there comes this other kind of thing and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And we look at that and we see that we're scarred. We walk, you know, in ways that are damaged and broken because of that kind of thing. And again, what we do is, is that we think of it as being... Uh, a tragedy, a, a, a bad thing that happened to us. Now, let's work on that for just one second. Was it a bad thing? Yes. Did God create dysfunctional families? No. They are a result of a fallen world, bad choices, bad actions, people doing wrong things. The dysfunction that exists in the world is not God's will. To the contrary, it's not what he created, but he gave us free will, and when we fall, we can end up in those situations, and that's what that is about, and we need to hold on to that, right? We need to always remember that, but we always need to remember something else, too. This, if, if there's sort of a life verse for this church, this is one of about three, okay? One with God and one another is one of them, and, and you're his masterpiece created and da-da-da, but this is one of them, Okay? We know that God causes everything to work together for the good 
of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, here's what that says. It doesn't say God created the bad situation. It says that God can take that bad situation and do something awesome. But wait. Those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Huh. Let's, let's, let's follow that thread in Scripture a little bit. Purpose. Intentionality. Not God created the bad, but there is bad, and now what? How does God handle it? What does he do about it? Well, watch this. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times, right? If you know him, he comes alongside and he ministers and he helps and he shows you things to do. But now watch this. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who's going through hard times so that. This is the message, so it's a paraphrase, but I could do it for you in ESV, which would be a word for word. And I want you to see that there's something that Paul is saying that he's phrasing this that's critical for us. So that. Think about it this way. Here's the problem God has. A broken world filled with dysfunction. It is broken. There is dysfunction. So what's he doing about it? That's what people say, right? What they want him to do is make everything better. Right? Well, he is in a way that's respecting still our free will. And here's what he's doing. If you are one of those people that happened to be in a situation that was devastating, that scarred you, that caused you to be broken in some fashion, God wants to come alongside you, the God who works all things together for good. He wants to show you the redemptive in that bad thing in yourself, but not just for you. He wants to take that bad thing and he wants to have you use it to, in love, reach out to somebody else who might not have him in their life. And to show them that it's not just tragedy as in everybody dies at the end of the Shakespeare play. There's redemption. There's something else that could happen. Can you see it? Who's going through this hard time so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. The things that we learn through our difficult time become the very thing that we minister to somebody to make a difference in them. Now, people say, where is God doing? I'm telling you, this is where God is, and this is what he's doing. But wait a minute. That means I had to go through a sucky bringing up and a sucky family situation. How's that fair? There isn't fair. There's fallen. And there's got to be something due. And... and I just want you to ponder for a minute. Is there anything good in God looking at you and saying, this person is going to go through hell? I'm not looking at you anymore because I don't want to, right? Okay. <laughs> I understand. No, I'm not going to do that either. Is there something that's actually good that God looked at the person that goes through the difficult thing and says... This person can handle this. And it's going to be tough. But there's somebody else out there that, that is going to die because of this. It's going to break them entirely. And if I equip a saint, what is a church supposed to do? Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Understand what I'm kind of saying here. What if part of what being church is, is going through really difficult things precisely so that you can learn how to get through difficult things so that you can minister to people who are going through difficult things? Does that make you out to be the unfortunate one all of a sudden? Does it? You see, now we can't go too far with this because somebody who really went through devastating says, you can stand up there, Kurt, and say that because you had a good family. But if you went through what I went through, you would see no good in it. And, and my heart bleeds. But my God is bigger. And they know him. And all of a sudden we start seeing something. We start seeing that God has this economy that's upside down from the way that we think about things, isn't it? It is. is always. I'm just telling you. 
the way that God does things is just so different from how anybody thinks about them. And all of a sudden we see, what does it mean that God let me go through a really difficult situation? It means he thought I could handle it. He knew that I would get through it. He knew that I would have what it would take to reach this other person that he loves. And in the end, does Job have a complaint against God? Or does he, does he think, my God used me for the entire world to understand suffering, to understand pain, to understand the deeper and bigger purposes and things, to understand that things are different than what we think. See, if we continue to walk through this, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And I can tell you, before, if I hadn't done what I just did, we would have read that. We would have said, yeah, like, you know, do worship or preach or help people or do whatever and all that kind of stuff. But all of a sudden, talking about we are God's masterpiece, carefully drawn, carefully crafted. He created us new in Jesus so that we can do these good things. And what are the good things all of a sudden? You know, do you want to be somebody who just has life really easy? <laughs> right? That's what I want. I want it just to be, you know, very narrow range, kind of like this, and make sure it's going up all the time. Right? But it turns out that the richest things in life are the ones that have the, the shadow of death in them. The things that take us to places that we did not want to go. The places that we were taken. And then we found God. And then we fall in love with God. Because we realize God is so much bigger than what we thought, right? And this has been a very consistent theme that God's been saying to us. And I've been talking about how I think we're in a new season. And that God is trying to equip his saints to become ministers to others. So I think that this thing that I'm saying right now, and this is just the introduction and we're going to get, it's not going to be that long of a sermon, trust me. But, but look, here's it. I know the plan for you, says the Lord. There are plans for good and not disaster to give you a future and a hope. And add in there, even if you were brought up in an incredibly dysfunctional situation, in an incredibly difficult family. I know the plans that I have for you. It's not for disaster. It's not to break you so that you're just a broken mess on the side of the road. It's to bring you into something that's deeper and richer and more full than you could ever imagine and you ever would have wanted. But that when you have it, you would never trade. You would never say, take me out of that hard thing ever having happened, but I won't own how I love you. I won't own the goodness that I can bring to other people through it now. See what I'm saying? You talk to anybody who's been through anything difficult, you've heard testimony after testimony after testimony of people from this congregation talk about this very principle. Right? What happened to me was devastating, but the bottom line is what I got out of it was so much richer that I never want to go through it again. And I would never choose it again because when it's really tough, you would never choose it. But what I got out of it, I would never trade away. Right? What if... Now, I could not possibly have set this up in a more dark path of what a church is about. <laughs> Because what I'm about to tell you is this church is supposed to be utter hell. <laughs> that's not actually what I'm going to tell you. But if that's true in that most dramatic case that we just looked at, if the principle's true and it's real and right over here, it's true, it's right, and it's real throughout the whole of the continuum on the things that happen. And what if God is trying to do something in the church which is exactly not why we come to church. Because here's why you do not come to church. Because I am going to go pulp. It's not why you come to a church. You know why you come to a church? Because you like the worship, or you like the sermons, or you like the people. That's why people come to church. Maybe it does something for me that's important on some other level. But really, it's, it's I like, I like, I like. There's nothing in there that has to do with what you're going to do to me. So what if that's actually the point? 
What is the point about a family that you don't get to choose? Right? What if you're not actually supposed to choose a church either? Because God has something for you in a family that is a church that's going to make all the difference. That's going to take you to the valley of shadow death and put you at a table with your head anointed with oil and your cup running over. Enemies surrounding you, not able to touch you. But surely goodness and mercy are following you. Every minute of your life, spoken by David who had a few rough things in his life, hiding in caves from somebody for a totally unjust reason, trying to be murdered by King Saul, right? Okay, long intro, not a long sermon, okay? Uh, oh, Jeff Pritchard, this is awesome. Jeff, Jeff is somewhat new. He works over at the Alternative School over here, so this is a guy that gets to make a big difference in people's life. This is just a really, really nice man. Okay, you're going to want to get to know him so people can see you too. Sorry, I know you hate that. But, but Jeff, pray for, the, pray for the sermon, lift up another church, would you? Lord, thank you for gathering us all here today, whether we're wide awake or a little bit weary. Um, Lord, I pray that you would just anoint the words that Kurt has for us today. And um, lift up Constance Free Church. It's a pretty big church in Minneapolis area. So, Lord, just thank you for today and bless the rest of the sermon. Amen. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. So I never give the title of a sermon because it's just, what's the point? You know, I mean, if the sermon doesn't, you know, your title doesn't help you any. Uh, but I'm giving you the title of a sermon today because I think that this is something that happened to me, and I, you're going to hear how it happened a little bit later. And I, this is just really important. I told you I think this is the beginning of the year. You guys know, if you've been here very long, you know that what we try and do is let the Lord lead us week by week. We really are trying to be spirit-led in everything that we do, and I, I know that's true from the pulpit and the things that we're doing here. I know it's true of worship, and I know it's true of how we plan and organize and so on. We're really going after God being able to lead us, and we're, 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 we, that doesn't say we don't have planning, but it is to say that we're just very careful about doing our planning in such a way as that God can have his will. So even what's happening right now was not the plan that we had for the beginning of the year. We had a different plan. But as things unfolded, particularly as God did what he did last week in the sermon, what happened was I felt like God wanted to do something more, and I, I didn't know what it was. I sought him, and this is what came out of it, the year of becoming family. We talk about being family here all the time. The fact is, as a church, I think we're extraordinarily family. The degree to which we're family is so much higher than, than what I've experienced in all the years I've gone to church before this one. Having said that, are we really family? Are we family like you are when you can't choose your family but you can choose your friends? Are we the, that kind of are we the kind of family where we're connected and locked in, where we're where we're knit together, where there really is a family dynamic happening? What I want to suggest to you is is yes and no. There's a lot more that God wants to do. And just like I said in the tithe thing, I think there's something corporate that God wants to do. Remember, he said, become one with God and one another that the world might know. So I'll tell you, I think this is prophetic when I say this. I think that God is trying to tell us what he wants to do with us this year. Now, let me tell you, I don't think we have to do it. I think we can choose to just go on and continue to function as a church, an organization, a quasi-family, and so on. And I don't think, we don't have to do this. And if we do, we will have missed out on what God was with us. Or we can embrace the work of what a family is. Because here's the truth. Even in the best families, there's significant dysfunction. Why? Because there's people there. Right? The, the truly perfect family exists in words and on, on, in a book somewhere. Okay? Everything else is us. So I look at this and I think that the Lord is trying to tell us something, which is, if you'll let me, no, that's not the right wording. If you will agree to it, I'd like to take you someplace. And when you get done, you're not going to be willing to trade it for what you had. You know, don't go through that experience. But you've got to go back to what you knew before. Okay? I think that's what he's doing. I really do. 
if I were to say this in another way, Band of Brothers, okay, how many people seen Band of Brothers? Okay, most guys' hands, we're going to go up on this one. Band of Brothers, okay, here's what Band of Brothers is about. This is extremely common. It is a group of men. What, what was the size of the grouping? I don't know my military terms well. Who's military in here and can tell me? Is that, that's not a regiment because that's much bigger. What's, it's a division? Okay, so it's a division. How many in a division? Four companies and 80 men. Got it. Okay, so this, is, this was 80 guys who went through this experience in World War II. This is a real story. Okay, and what happened to these guys and the devastation they went through. You know, when they were in the trenches, when they were here, when, you know, the losing people, barely surviving, going through entire nights where there was no reason why they should be alive in the morning, all that kind of stuff. And this particular band of brothers actually is the one that made it to the fortified uh, eagle's nest that was in Birch's Garden for him. And if you've ever seen pictures of it, it stands on top of a cliff and it's impenetrable by old style means, by World War II means. You could lob bombs at it, but they weren't that accurate. And it was a heavily, heavily, heavily fortified place. And these are the guys that took that. It, interesting little side story, Julie's uncle either was in the company that did that, in the company that did something like that. And, and they actually got to pill for the house. They, they literally, the army said, just take whatever you want, you know? And it's very interesting, the kinds of things that happen. But the point is, and the thing I'm going after is, what we say is, blood is thicker than water. What that means is, you know, you can have great friends, really deep friends and everything else, but in the end, what's going to happen is, is that your family, you know, you can choose your friends, but not your family, and the family's the one that's going to stick, Right? But what Band of Brothers teaches us, and what a whole lot of things in life teach us is, there's something actually deeper than blood. And that is relationships forged in the trenches. Life on the line, there for one another, having saved one another's lives. You get bonded in ways. You, anybody who went through this experience, and there still are plenty alive, they went through this experience, they'll tell you the people that I was closest to in my life were those people. That's the most intimate that I ever became with another human being. Okay? Now, you hopefully they were became as intimate with family and so on. But interestingly, think about this. Smalley says, if you really want to get to be bonded with your family, do not go to Disneyland. Because Disneyland is going to be perfect. If you want to get bonded with your family, go camping. Because you won't know how to set up the tent. It's going to rain. There's going to be a hole. Somebody's going to get drenched. Somebody's going to get gasoline poured all of them. Okay? Bad things are going to happen. And in the end, you're going to remember a ride at Disneyland, but you're going to much more deeply remember the thing that you had to get through together as a family. Those are the things that bond you. It turns out that the, the hearts welded by trial are the hearts that stay one right these are the ones that do it and i want to suggest to you that there is a uh as it says iron sharpens iron as another man sharpens another well let's just take this idea and let's go a little face something okay this is what is called a diamond in the rough okay now that diamond right there has all kinds of sharp edges on it and trust me when the when the diamond has a sharp edge it's a sharp edge okay it'll cut you up okay so that's a diamond in the rough. Now, in order to make this diamond worth something, in order to make it, how, why is a diamond worth something? Why is a diamond the gemstone that, that people value the most? Other than, you know, De Beers doing a marketing job and making them think that it was scarce when in fact they're everywhere. But, but now think about this. Why do we value diamonds over other jewels? It's the strongest, and that's really good, and that's a nice metaphor. But the reason why we like them the most is because they can become brilliant. Brilliance means how they reflect. Here's, here's an image of, see, if you cut a diamond too shallow, the light that comes into the diamond will bleed out the bottom of the diamond. If you cut it too deep, it will in fact reflect, but it won't reflect at the right angle, and it'll end up bleeding out the other way. This middle one is what you're trying to hit with a diamond. When you get it just right, 
when you are, to phrasing of Romans 8.28, when you are his masterpiece, you have been cut to the perfect depth so that he can come in, bounce around you, and come back out looking like still him. When it's not right, if, 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 if going back to the diamond in the rough, if light comes into the diamond in the rough, what happens? It still is really pretty, isn't it? But that's not anything at all like what we're looking for. And what we're looking for, like I say, is this peculiar thing, being able to have God come into us and have it bounce around inside of us in a way that does not occlude, but allows him to shine forth in brilliance. See the metaphor? So in order to do that, of course, this is, this is just taking the rough cut. And look at all the steps that it takes just to do a rough cut. Okay? And then, but that's only the beginning of it. This is something that I didn't even know about, so I started researching this because I felt like that's what God wanted me to do. This is called, uh, who's, I've already forgotten the name. Is it bruising? Who's a diamond cutter in here? <laughs> Does anybody, what's that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, this is what you do is you take one diamond and you spin it one way. And you take another diamond and you spin it the other way so that you can roughly round off the diamond. See what I mean? And get down to the size of diamond that you want. Why you have to use another diamond is because it's the strongest. Nothing else will do that. Wait a minute. Think of the metaphor. Nothing else will cause those rough edges to be knocked off. I have this image there is this place in God that he wants us to fit, that he has made for us. And it is perfectly faceted in brilliance so that it reflects all of his glory. So that his glory coming in and going out is perfect, right? And what happens is, is that we're diamonds in the, trying to fit in a perfectly faceted spot in God. And so what's happening between you and God is, is that we're actually ripping him to shreds. Because we don't fit. And so God, who is on the cross, taking that and bleeding from us, ripping him to shreds, what he's doing is, is he gives us a relationship on the horizontal to bruise one another. I think that's the actual technical term. To bruise one another. Which is to knock off rough edges. If you get what I'm saying, think about a marriage. Okay? You know, there's that there's a reason where you think both of you are perfect, and then you get married, and then you get find out that you're not. But you stay in the marriage because what God is doing is, is that he's bruising the both of you to knock off rough edges. See it? And I get this image that that's what God is trying to say here. And, and then they have to do then, you see these little, these are chisels, and you see how the chisel has to have a diamond in it, because again, you can't cut a diamond with anything but a diamond. It's the only thing it's as strong as. And even then, you have to cut it just exactly along its right plane, or it'll actually, it'll actually break the chisel side. See what I mean? It's not like that diamond is stronger. It's that you have it in exactly the right place to where, as Michelangelo said, you know, David was already in the slab of marble. I just had to cut away what wasn't him. See? But what God is doing is he's saying, I know what I made. There's just a whole lot of nonsense around it. And all I'm doing is I'm chiseling off what doesn't belong. And I'm using the experience that you have with one another to do that. I'm using the relationships that you have. Well, no, that relationship is uncomfortable for me, so I'm going to leave. Because I don't like it. And so you walk away a diamond in the rough still. See? See? That, this is polishing, and of course that, that wheel has to be what? Flex of diamond, because that's the only thing that will polish it properly and get it just exactly with the way that you want it and so on, and then it'll finally get to brilliance. The journey that God has us on as Christians is taking us from diamonds in the rough to the brilliant thing that God has made. This is what he's trying to do. 
Last week, here's what we talked about. When we think of Jesus and what he did for us, we actually miss half of what he did. Because what we think of is, is that what Jesus did with us was redeem us, reconcile us with God. That's when you say, what did Jesus do for you? He reconciled me with God. That's what we say. But if you look carefully, as we did last week, and if you did not see it, can I highly encourage you to please watch? This is one of those that you actually could listen to. A lot of our sermons are... There's too much going on visually a lot of times to listen to it and get it all. But this is when you podcast. But I'm just telling you, however it is, listen to this sermon. Because I really want you to see something, which is when you really look carefully what God said before Christ, what Christ said himself, and what God then did was something that was every bit as important as reconciling us with God. He reconciled us with one another. And the point is, we can say that we're reconciled with God, not be reconciled with one another, and it's a lie. We're not actually reconciled with God. We're not truly God's image until we're reconciled with him and with others. Jesus came to not just redeem us and reconcile us to God. He came to redeem and reconcile us with each other. And what we did at the end of that was, is we had everybody go to their, these various rooms geographically, and they met people, and we had really cool things. Uh, the Britons met somebody who was, they weren't the backyard neighbor, they weren't the over-the-fence neighbor, but they were one house down from that. And that's what we were looking for, is people to find out there's all kinds of, I had, we had lots of great reports. We had people say, wow, there's like really cool people that live out where I live. I didn't know anybody lived out here. See what I mean? So it really went well, and that was about, that was about just getting to know each other. But here's the thing. Do you get shaped into brilliance by going out to dinner together and having a lot of fun? Now, can I say something? If you don't go out to dinner together and have a lot of fun, bummer. <laughs> because that's the good stuff, right? That's the fun stuff. That's one of the things that makes it worth it. It's just lovely to be with people and spend time with them and have a great time together, right? So that's cool. That's like icing on the on the... I always want to say icing on the meat, because icing on the cake, cake isn't substantive <laughs> enough. So I can't, I want to say Bernays on the steak, that doesn't work either, I don't know what it is. But, what's that? Gravy? Yeah, if you like gravy. Yeah. But, but you get the, yeah, but you get the point. There's like this extra goodie that God does. But do we understand something? That's not actually his purpose. It isn't so that we can have fun at dinner together. Do we get that? No, I don't mean do we get that abstractly. I mean do we live that? Do we live that what God's doing? Because here's how we live. I'm going to have friends that I can go out to dinner with and have fun with. Right? Or, or go out and hike or do whatever. See what I mean? I'm going to be with people that I want to have fun with and I have fun with them. And that's what life is about. Because after all, being good Americans, you know, the pursuit of happiness. That's what life is about. That's what I should be shooting for. And when we do that, we are continually disconnecting from bruising, cutting, polishing. We're not brilliant. We don't ever get to where he wants us to be because we don't connect, because we don't become one. Because here's what becoming one means. It means being forged in that trench where you cannot be separated. That strong bond. Right? If we would start thinking about where God wanted us to be, what I can promise you is, there's a whole lot of tables prepared for you that have the cup running over and the head anointed with oil. But what I'm telling you is, if we just start letting God take us through some valleys of the shadow of death, through some difficulties, through things that we want to run from, but we know we're not supposed to. And if we would commit to going through them, that's where you get to a table that's richer and fuller and more magnificent than any table you could ever have by trying to circumvent it. See what I mean? What makes it deep and rich and full, glorious even, is what it took to get to that table. God did something. He cut off another of something that was cutting him other people 
He's making me more attractive, more brilliant. Are we there? Are we, are we seeing and getting? Because what I want to say is, and again, we're talking about church now, we're talking about being a family now, right? And what I want to say is, you do realize that God absolutely does not need you to do anything. The God who made the universe, just as one example, and this is going in, now that should be a video that should be playing. Let me see if I can get it to play. You guys see that as a video back there? There. See, now this is going in magnitudes. See this? Now look how long it takes. It takes about 12 things to get to there. There's Earth, finally. Right about now, when we get to human scale, which is right about here, now we're at 18 things. And it took 18 magnitudes to get down to it. But now watch this. This is another 18 that goes down to intimacy. So we're not, the God who can make things that's 18 magnitudes larger and 18 magnitudes more intimate, he, honest to God, doesn't need you to do anything. <laughs> There's nothing you could do that would be like better than he did it. There's nothing you could do that even touch how he could do it. So are we clear on that God really, 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 really doesn't need us to do anything? Because he could do it better, <laughs> right? Well, then why would he have us do things, works that he prepared for, for us since before the foundation? Why would he have us do that? Because of what we're talking about. Because it's in this interaction with each other where there's this unfortunate reality of two actual human beings with desires and hopes and dreams and thoughts and agendas that have to rub up against one another. And we can be incredibly hard. And it takes somebody else to bruise us, to cut us, to polish us. Right? In preparing this sermon, I just want to show you a little about this, just a quick story. Uh, I'm going over this first part fast because I don't want anybody to feel sorry for me or anything like that. It's not why I'm telling the story at all. I just need you to know where I'm at. Uh, this has been a, this has been a, you know, the summer of my life. I mean, you know, you just cannot pack bigger events into a life. I've lost uh, the brother that, you know, was part of me. Uh, I had two weddings and. They were magnificent and, and very strenuous, and, but wonderful and glorious, and I'm very happy about their marriages and so on, but there's still loss in that. There's, there's and, and plus it was just a boatload of work. You know what I mean? It's just a lot of work. I mean, we had two weddings in three months, good grief. You know what I mean? That's just like, I, I told my daughters, I said, I, I always wanted you to be close, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> you know, couldn't you just put them a year apart? You know, give me a tiny chance to breathe. And Julie too. And both two, I, you know, I worked at church things the whole time I was gone. There was no vacation involved in either one of them. Maybe a day or two on the first one, and literally a half a day was all on the second one. I mean, we were doing, we literally put a person into rehab when we were back for one of the ministry things we did, and that was just one of them. And it's just all, it, it was just all, it was either church work here or it was ministry work. That's fine. It's great. God's wonderful and awesome, and I'm not complaining at all. But I just want you to know that both you and I came home, and what we were saying was, is we have a problem. And the problem we have is we've been gone for a long time, and people want us to come back, ready to be back, as if we'd been gone relaxing. But instead, what we are is incredibly exhausted. And I feel fragile right now. I don't feel diamond. I feel like crystal glass. I literally do. In my heart, emotionally, I feel like crystal. And I feel like something could hit me too hard, and I just shatter. And I'm, I'm doing great, and God is wonderful. But I want you to see an impact that that had. And the impact that it had was, is on Monday, it was Labor Day, and I was just so tired, and I thought, you know what? I'm not going to do my walk, do anything. I'm just going to really try and take the day. And I ended up working the entire day, stupid me. My fault. Not God. My fault, right? And then Tuesday came, and I was so exhausted from the really long day I'd had on Monday that, that I wanted to go for my walk. And, and I, have to, I have to preach, right? And I go for my walk for lots of reasons. But I would say that the average amount of time that I sermon before I write it, which is on Thursday, is about five. I've spent about five hours praying about the sermon, just the sermon. Other things I prayed about too. 
but I'll spend about that much time until I write it. And unless, unless I have that much time in me in prayer, I'm just not sure that I know what God's saying. Do you know what I mean? I need that to just get to where I really feel confident that this is what God's saying so that I can write it with some confidence and assurance and so on, right? You get it? So on Tuesday, uh, just, again, exhausted and everything else, didn't get any prayer time in. On Wednesday, I, I, I said, I got to go out in my prayer time. I'm supposed to write it on Thursday, but likely I won't be able to write it on Thursday because it never works if I only pray one day before I try and write it that I could write it. It's just not there. I'm just not sure enough I don't have God's heart. So on Wednesday, I'm just about to go out for my walk at about 11 o'clock, and, and I get this little prompting that says, don't. Don't worry about it. I'll write it. And I, can I just say how much I didn't trust that that was actually God? <laughs> because that's so comported with what I wanted, <laughs> which was not to go and do anything else, right? But God told me, I don't want you to do any work, and I didn't. And I took some time, and I didn't go for my walk after, and I actually took some time. And then on Thursday, I was kind of like, okay, was that you? <laughs> and I go out, and sure enough, I get out, and I'm about half hour into my walk, and all of a sudden, God just dumps this sermon, this thought, this idea. Now, you have to understand, we weren't planning on doing this sermon at this time. But I, what I said is I said, there was something God started last week that I feel like he's not done with and that he wants to extend it to this week. And so I said, I just got to. So he dumps the sermon in me, and literally, I, I, I wish you could hear one of my recordings, because I, when I get something I think is from the Lord, so I don't forget, I'll go ahead and speak it into my phone, into Evernote, and I'll just speak it in there so I can record it. And literally, as I was listening to the recording, I was, about every third recording, I would go, praise God, because of what he was doing, just dropping things in me. Well, now watch. So this is cool, right? Now listen to the rest of the story. What happened was, is it's Thursday. I'm, I know I'm going to be praying a long time. I was thinking I'd probably pray two to three hours so that I would really get the sermon, be prepared for it, and then write it. And it would take me the whole day to do it. We had a meeting at 530. I couldn't change. And I was really worried about, if I started at 630, I was very worried about getting done. I, I really thought I wouldn't. At 630, I looked at an email. I thought it was a very quick call. I called the person, I said, hey, you know, I got it, and feel free, and I, I'll make a quick call, and blah, blah. And they said, great. And then they said, hey, by the way, I heard about something, and da-da-da, and it opened up this whole other thing. Now, remember what I got in my, my agenda. But two hours later, I hung up from that phone call, 6.30 to 8.30. Then I called the person, they said, do you know it's 6.30? <laughs> and I thought it was 7.30, and I was like, no, I'm so sorry, I thought it was 7.30. Uh, but anyway, so two hours later, and then it was another hour plus just to make sure that I'd communicated with other people what had happened. So it's about 10.30 now, and I'm going out, and I needed all the, the whole day, and I'm thinking there's no chance that I'm going to get through this. But I want you to understand what the nature of those conversations was in the morning. They were stone, stone and iron sharpening iron. They were diamonds polishing each other. And when I went out and prayed, I didn't have enough time. I, I thought for sure I'm going to have to try and write it on Saturday. I hate doing that. I had a bunch of stuff going on Saturday already. I wasn't, didn't want it. But, but what the Lord did was he said, this is what I want you to talk about. It's what you've been doing all morning. You've been being in people's lives in ways that are not easy, that were hard. Now, we love one another, and so that made it not overly dangerous. But let me just, just to make it clear how these things work, as time went on and things happened, it did sort of get twisted sideways a little bit at one point in time, and I ended up having another conversation with the same person because I thought it was, I meant one thing, but after a little while, it kind of became something else as things do, because that's how we are as people. Do you know how exhausting we are with each other? Do you know how much communication it takes to communicate? Because I can tell you right now, I don't think we do. Because I think we put about a tenth of the time in it, and then what happens is it's difficult, or it's this or it's that, and then we run away. And we disconnect from it, we leave it go. But I didn't leave it go. In fact, I ended up at this person's house at 11 o'clock at night, and at that moment in time, 
the thing that I was thought I was doing that morning, which I totally understood why the person didn't take it that way. Totally understood it. It was completely reasonable, the interpretation that they put on it. It was just, you know, right? It was a two-hour thing. It was a four-hour thing done in two hours. And, but now all of a sudden in that second thing, 11 o'clock at night, on my Sabbath, by the way, which I would never do, but 11 o'clock at night, God got to finally say the things that I didn't of respect, of how I see this person, of what I think God's doing in their life, of the incredible places that he's taking this person. Now, I don't really care how the sermon goes also. <laughs> I'm thankful that it seems like it's going okay. Is it going okay? But you know when I get to heaven that God is not going to say, boy, you know, on September 13th, is it the 13th today? I don't even know. <laughs> on September 13th, you really preached a good sermon. You know what he is going to say? Thank you for caring for that person, my friend. Thank you for doing what it took. And it was, and you, you were tired. And it, you, it, thank you for for making that person, allowing that person to be so important to you that they got time in front of the sermon and time on a Sabbath. Do you see it? He is not going to say, thank you for what you did in some ministry. Of course, there's some of that, right? The task that we do shapes us too. But I just want to say, that that's more regular gemstone stuff. The diamond stuff is us. That's what we are, each one of us. And God is using us in situations where he bruises and burnishes and polishes and, and he does this incredible thing. And if we do not embrace it, if we do not dig into it, if we do not prioritize it, if we do not give it everything that we've got, I promise you, you will fart of brilliance. But if we will in God go after it, I can't promise you that every time it'll come out beautiful. But what I can promise you is, is that God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. As possible with you, be at peace. As, let, me let me paraphrase that. As far as is possible with you, do everything you can to value, to honor, to cherish, to raise up, to help, to bless, to minister from the ways that you've been comforted and everything else I've got that I can do through you. Raise up other people. Now, when we get together in the rooms afterwards and we see people that we can have dinner with, that's awesome. Have dinner, have fun. It's great, have fun. But do understand that in the end, what God is actually doing is he's trying to put us into situations where the real stuff can happen, the important stuff. The other stuff is gravy, okay? Put yourself in a situation where you can do that. This church, at the cost of the size of this church, went away from having professionals do worship and ministries and all of these things. And the reason why we did it, the very reason why we've said at the very beginning and every moment until then, the reason why we got rid of pros and brought ministry back to you was not so that we would have better ministry. Because we don't. The reason why we did it was because it was going to cut us. It was going to bruise us. It was going to polish us. That's why we do what we do and the way that we do it. And frankly, it's worked pretty well. So, I want you to become a family. Everybody has a chore in a family. I don't want you to think of it as a task. I want you to think of it as an opportunity for you to be with somebody else that you might not necessarily even want to be with. So that God can do work. So that God can do beauty. So that God can do things that you wouldn't have chosen 
that you wouldn't trade. With that in mind, you have a sign up. I want you to just turn to this. Oh, by the way, no, sorry. Don't do this just yet. In every ministry, you're, in a second here, I'm going to give you an opportunity to get involved in a ministry and make it, let me make it clear, okay? Do you hear what I'm saying? I don't want you to sign up for a ministry because it's a tax. I need to sign up for a ministry because you're going to be with other people doing something. And that's going to give an opportunity for God to do some things. But here's, here's what I want us to do. This is a prophetic thing that I'm asking everybody to do this year. If this is the year of becoming family, then whenever tension, conflict, disagreement this year, whatever, when, well, I phrased it wrong. Whatever tension, conflict, disagreement happens this year, let's all stop and ask this question. In other words, every time you're in a ministry, if you're thinking, oh my God, this is so inefficient, I can't believe this meeting's gone on for so long. Look, meetings should not go on for a long time. When they go on too long, people quit, I get it. But, but here's what I'm saying. When there's tension in a moment, let's not try and figure out how to get out of it. Let's try and figure out how to solve it. And let's ask ourselves this question. Is this a family moment? If it was your family, you can't run away. You're going to see them again on another holiday, gathering, reunion, wedding, and you've got to work through this. Most of us don't, right? And hence, a lot of burnishing and bruising and shaping to brilliance God would have done doesn't happen. So I'm asking us to do this. I'm asking us to think about what we do as family. And I want you, every, any ministry that you're in, when there's a problem, I want us to get really good at it. Here's what the youth group did. At one point in time, the youth group was having some problem with sort of snarkiness. People were saying things to each other in a way that was sarcastic and funny, but it was not great. Okay, it wasn't healthy. And so they came up with a word, muskrat. And what muskrat meant was is somebody said something, and let's just be aware of the fact that we're going down a road we don't want to go down. It'll call everybody back. What I'm saying is when we get into conflict, can we create a word that we all communicate, we all know what it means? When we're at a place where we're disagreeing with somebody else and we're butting heads and there's an iron sharpening an iron when there's a diamond cutting another diamond and bruising and hitting and doing this thing, when we get to that moment, can we say something like this? Is this a family moment? And what we mean by it is, is God trying to shape us? Is there something that God would have us do that's more important than the task? Is this a family moment? Can we do that? I think if we do, I think what's going to happen is that God is going to actually make us a family. You see what's going to happen? People that you had issues with and difficulties with, you're going to get bonded to in ways that are welded in the trench, not at the nice dinner, in the trenches. With that in mind, I'm asking you to do this. Pull this out, okay? This is in there. And I'm just asking you, get involved. We made it super simple for you. It literally is one, two, three. The first one is just put your name on there so that we know who this putting their name on this, all right? The second thing that we're asking you to do is, I'm currently, and, and see the huge thank you? That means thank you. <laughs> that thank you means thank you for being involved, for being part of a family, for doing the dishes. You know what I mean? For being part of this family, no matter what part it is. Okay? So thank you, and I'm involved in that. And if you're looking and thinking maybe it's time for a change, just put a check mark on that. Somebody's going to contact you, help you out with where else might work better for you. See what I mean? Okay? Now here's the last one. Teams with immediate opening. The, there's a, there's so many ministries on here, and we've done it before, where it's just long lists, and everybody has to read all these long lists. And it's just, so we tried to make it a little simpler this year, and what we did is we just said, these are teams that have immediate openings. And by the way, I want you to look at this. When you see community care team, don't circle community care. That's the bold one. Don't circle a bold word. Circle one of the words underneath. Do you want to do food pantry or food pickups or meals ministries or projects? Circle the one that you'd like to be involved in. Events team, food, decor, admin. See what I mean? I, I, oh, there's a slide for it. Sorry. Okay? And so what you're doing is you're circling the one smaller letter and saying, that part of this ministry, I'd like to be on that team. Got it? Now, we've communicated with you immediate needs, opening, that kind of stuff. I hope you pick something in there and, and all that kind of stuff. But if it doesn't work for you, I'm not sure. Contact me. And the last thing on there is, I don't see the need listed, but could offer up my skills at, you see, I'd like to be involved in, 
and then just put that down in there and we'll, we'll connect you with the people that are involved in that and you'll become part of a team. So while you're doing this, and I want you to do this for a second, I mean, please do this, and, and ushers, could you please get ready to come forward and pick all this up so that we can pick it up right now? But, but here's, and I'm sorry, I didn't prep that, so that this is on me, okay, and I apologize to the ushers for that. Thank you for being flexible, but I apologize, okay? Um, will you please agree that you will not enter into this because, the, the, because your heart is, is, they just need me to do something? That's the first level. I hope you understand that what I just preached, I meant. I hope you understand that God's trying to do something different, so would you not only not think we're just looking to fill needs, but would you also think this way? I'm not going into this because of the task. Because something needs to get done. I want you to prayerfully look at this list while we sing a song and do all this, and I don't know how we're going to do this, but, but I want you to take a minute, and I want you to pray about what God might quicken on there so that you can get involved in the thing that God actually wanted you involved in. I think there's a lot less of what I want in life than what we do by God's design. I think what God's trying to do is to say, you trust me, and will you just do what I'm asking? Do we get it? So Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, would you, would you take a body of believers, a family, would you take the members and the amazing gifting that you have in this family, and when you, would you cause that gifting to start to come out so that we could be as brilliant as a body as you wanted us to be. But God, that's not actually where we really put our emphasis this week. We put our emphasis on, would you make me as brilliant as you want me to be? Would you please put me in a situation that's going to polish me, that's going to cut me, that's going to bruise me? Would you put me into a situation that's going to stretch me beyond what I want, beyond what I'm comfortable, beyond what I even think is appropriate. Would you put me into situations that make a difference in my life? Thank you, Lord. I, I just, Kevin Prowlis is up here playing guitar right now. And I, I just cannot get my mind off of the fact of how many crappy things have happened with you on worship and worship team and all that kind of stuff? That happens on worship team. Did you actually want a real answer? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's been a lot. There, yeah. yeah. There's been a lot of conflicts. There's been a lot of differences. There's been a lot of things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But you're connected with people that you would have never connected with had it not been for those problems. Absolutely, without question. The people that I had the most conflict with, I'm now probably the closest to, I'd say. What if that's what church is? Lord, in Jesus' name, make us a church the way you mean it, which is to say, make us a family. We'd reach down in front of us and we'd grab that cup, and in the bottom of that cup is this bread, this bread that has been broken, this life that we have broken by our choices by our consumer mentality, by our <coughs> choosing and doing things the way that makes sense to us, because after all, life is about the pursuit of happiness. When in Jesus' holy and precious name, it's about actually the journey that you have us on. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, we have broke our own lives by pursuing something that seemed better, when in fact it was lesser. So would you just forgive us we repent of the decisions that we have made that have caused us to not be as brilliant as you had intended. God, in Jesus' holy and precious name, thank you for Jesus on the cross who healed all of that, all of our brokenness, to make us whole, to make us one. So take together that you should be made whole and made one with one another. Thank you, Lord. And now, 
Jesus, we lift the cup in which is the blood, which is to say when that blood was spilled, it was finished, which is to say that 2,000 years ago, everything that needed to happen in my life today, every single thing has already been done. Nothing more that needs to be done. I simply need to enter into it. So God, I recognize that everything you've done for me is finished. And now I make a commitment. We make a commitment that we will enter into the things that you have for us. That you might shape us into your image. In Jesus' holy and precious name. Raise this cup together. Consider changing this response.